0: Welcome to the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics. Welcome back to the Students of Surgery podcast series, and today we have Dr. Monzon, Head of Trauma Surgery at Steve Biko Academic Hospital, and we are going to be giving a very broad overview of radiological examinations that we can do in the trauma resuscitation room. Welcome back, Dr. Monzon.
1: Thank you very much, Prof. uh, Brandt, for the invitation to speak in the podcast.
0: Let's get into it. So why is knowledge of appropriate radiological examinations important?
1: Well, you know, radiological examinations are essential in the care of the trauma patients. A properly selected and uh, executed uh, radiological imaging investigation allows identification of injuries, facilitates determining the cause of treatment that you're going to do and assist with interventions and diagnosis of complications. However, uh, improper use of radiological investigations will delay life-saving interventions such as surgery for arresting hemorrhage. will increase the cost of treatment of the patient and in some instances could lead to mortality.
0: Does every trauma patient need radiological investigations? Imaging
1: is only indicated if the result is likely to modify the treatment plan that you have selected for your patient or an intervention is necessary. Classical example is the need for angioembolization of a solid organ injury. If a patient has an obvious clinical diagnosis that requires a surgical intervention, image, imaging is not required. So say patient is in shock and is bleeding in, in the abdomen from a ruptured spleen, you don't need the CT scan to make that decision. patient requires surgery.
0: So what are the imaging options that we have available to us in a resuscitation room?
1: That are called essential x-rays. Um, one one tool that has becoming uh, widespread in South Africa is is the Lodox. The other ones are the ch- a, uh, chest radiographies and pelvis radiographies. The performance of surgeon or physician perform ultrasound, which is called EFAS, and the potential to do C spine ing- uh, X rays in the in the resuscitation room.
0: So, where in the primary and secondary survey does radiology imaging fall?
1: Well, there are, there are some imaging uh, investigations that, are, that you can do even before your patient arrives uh, into the resuscitation room itself, like LODOX for example. If a hospital has a LODOX machine available, you can do the x-rays on the LODOX and then take your patient and initiate your primary survey. By the time you finish your primary survey, you will have some information from the LODOX and you can make decisions. Essentially. Radiological investigations like the chest X-ray, the pelvis X-ray and the EFAST should be done at the end of the primary survey. And all the investigations such as CT scan and contrast um, examinations can be done later after the patient's uh, secondary survey and resuscitation have been completed. Indeed are necessary but they must not substitute clinical diagnosis of the, or delay the initiation of any treatment particularly important in, in, in bleeding trauma patients who requires an operation. Don't rely on the use of investigations in every single trauma patient. Just select which trauma patient will benefit from a radiological investigation.
0: So what is LODOX and then when should we use it?
1: Well, LODOX is an African invention. The LODOX word stands for low-dose x-ray and it's a a screening method used in the mining industry, particularly diamond mining industry, uh, to screen the uh, workers of the diamond mines to make sure that they don't steal the diamonds. And it's a digital biplanar uh, X-ray that is, is, obtains a whole body, full body X-ray that can shows you from head to toes. And then you have an idea what is happening in the chest, the pelvis and, and the long bone. By the time you arrive into the resuscitation room, you will have some information.
0: Are there any contraindications for performing a LODOC scan in a patient requiring trauma resuscitation?
1: There are two key issues when you're doing Lodox, and first is if your patient has a threatener way or a compromise airway you should not do a Lodox, or if your patient is having an external active external hemorrhage that requires treatment, the patient should not be Lodox. In any other instance, if the Lodox is available, the patient should be Lodox before the primary survey starts.
0: At what stage we do a cervical spine, a chest x-ray and a pelvic x-ray?
1: Okay, so checks, chest and pelvis are essential in the, in the initial management of a patient. They will give you a lot of information about sources of bleeding and other, and other potential life-threatening complications.
0: Am I correct in saying that cervical spine x-rays are not routinely performed in the primary survey?
1: Uh, spine x-rays have a very low diagnostic yield in the emergency department. They are very technically difficult to obtain. And they can cause unnecessary movement of the cervical spine. So the duty of the doctor who's treating a trauma patient is to protect the cervical spine if there is a potential for cervical spine injury rather than to try to investigate and find out a diagnosis. Once your patient is stable and you've excluded all life-threatening injuries, then you can do a a CT scan of of the cervical spine. And I think we can talk about uh, how to assess uh, the need for cervical spine x-rays or CT scan data.
0: What are the goals of doing a a chest x-ray and a pelvic x-ray in a trauma patient?
1: Well, as I said before, they they allow you to uh, assess and identify major sources of bleeding and and all the potential lethal injuries. The major advantage is that you can do them in the emergency department. If you have done a LODOX, you already don't need to do a a chest x-ray or a pelvis x-ray. But mostly, if you're doing a chest x-ray, you'll be able to identify hemothoraces, pneumothoraces, and some indirect signs of a cardiac tamponade you need to look for foreign bodies, uh, retain blades and bullets. Uh, and the major issues with the ch- chest and, and x-ray is that it lacks specificity. It doesn't tell you what, what is wrong with it. And it can miss injuries because the x-ray is done with a patient in a supine position. Some, some injuries may be missed, particularly pneumothoraces that are small. They should be done, if you don't have a LODOS, you should do a, a chest x-ray and a pelvic x-ray in every single trauma patient immediately after you finish your primary survey.
0: Let's come back to those cervical spine X-rays.
1: Yeah. So as I said before, cervical spine X-rays are not uh, compulsory or obligatory when you're doing your initial assessment because of the poor diagnostic yield that they have. The issues with cervical spine and determining when you require to investigate the cervical spine is based on, as I said that uh, in in another conversation that we had before, on the on the triage of the severity of injury. So there are certain mechanisms of injuries that are Consistent with the potential for cervical spine x-ray and there are basically currently two um, selection tools let's put it this way that allow you to make a decision whether you need to image your your cervical spine or not. One is the Canadian C-spine rules which exactly details you who and how you do your your determination of when to do a CT scan of of, of the C-spine. And the other one are the Nexus Guidelines. Basically, the Nexus Guidelines, are, are also, they were also produced in Canada and they are more or less similar to the Canadian C-SPINE rules, a little bit more complicated to understand. So my recommendation for the students will be just to use the Canadian C-SPINE rules. You can actually access it on the internet. There is a single page PDF document on the internet that you can download and put it on your on your cell phone. And so you can remember when you're dealing with a trauma patient, how do you select a patient for for a cervical spine CT scan?
0: Just for our listeners, we have supplied the Canadian C-spine rules in the podcast's footnotes. We haven't spoken about abdominal x-rays. Is there ever a need to do them in trauma?
1: They are not routinely indicated, uh, Martin, but... uh, the issues with abdominal x-rays is that they lack uh, sensitivity and specificity for abdominal injuries. You, don't, you won't be able to see the liver and the spleen on, the, on a plain abdominal x-ray. However, they do have a diagnostic value, particularly when you are dealing with penetrating trauma and more specifically with gunshot wounds. The assessment of the abdominal cavity is done by clinical examination, the use of uh, ultrasound, and when indicated, with a CT scan.
0: Tell us about the eFAST.
1: Right, eFAST is um, something which has revolutionized the way we look at trauma patients. eFAST sim- simply stands for Extended Focus Abdominal Sonography in Trauma or Assessment by Sonography in Trauma. As I said, it's a vital examination. It's done by the doctors who are dealing with the resuscitation and the primary survey.
0: What can we assess using an eFAST?
1: allows you to identify some of the life-threatening injuries, particularly hemoneumotorax and, and cardiac tamponade, and also the presence of abdominal fluid. It's, it's a reproducible thing. is easily available in many of the uh, major um, emergency departments. It's an inexpensive tool. You don't need to transport your patient anywhere, and you don't need a specialist radiologist to interpret it. Unfortunately, it has a very poor specificity, so it cannot tell you exactly what kind of fluids you're dealing with. But if we remember that the majority of patients who are injured and, and have some free fluid in the abdomen will be blood. Then, then you have a very good tool to assess the need either for surgery or for further investigation.
0: When should we do an EFAST?
1: You do it when if your patient is in shock. You you're in during C the C stage of the primary assessment to find out where the sources of bleeding are. But if your patient is hemodynamically normal or hemodynamically stable you do the Efas when you finish your secondary survey.
0: What is on-demand imaging?
1: Well, on-demand imaging is the ones that you select and decide based on the findings of your clinical examination. So those are the radiological investigations that are not compulsory or done routinely, but you need to use them in in a very sensitive and appropriate manner when you identify the potential for an injury. Uh, The most common one is a CT scan. We we can talk about different places where you do a CT scan. You can do a CT scan of the brain, the C-spine, the chest and abdomen, the pelvis. You can do an angiogram. But all of those, the request for a CT scan and the the actual use of the CT scan is based on clinical examination. We're not going to routinely do a CT scan for every single one because it may not be of diagnostic uh, interest at all. If your physical examination is normal and you have a very small, insignificant mechanism of injury, you don't need to do a scan. You just rely on on physical
0: examination alone. So let's go through some of these imaging modalities. When would one use a limb or a joint X-ray?
1: Okay, so again, these are these are not uh, a, a essential X-rays to be done in the in the during the initial assessment and the. Uh, of the trauma patient. However, if you have clinical evidence of a potential knee or jo- may joint dislocation or a fracture with the deformity of the limb, you should obtain x-rays of, of the limbs. But as I said, they should not delay the necessary intervention. So if, if your patient has a need for an emergency laparotomy and also has a, a tibia fracture, your duty as a physician or as a treating doctor is just to immobilize that fracture rather than Waste time, taking an X-ray. Go control the bleeding. And once the bleeding is controlled, then you can do your X-rays of the limb at leisure, when the patient is not at risk
0: of dying. I guess this becomes part of the tertiary survey, which you described in the approach to a trauma patient podcast. Are there any principles that we should be aware of with uh, joint X-rays?
1: Yes, uh, limb X-rays. they should there is there is typical rules that the autobots always insist on. Is a rule of twos. So you need to obtain two views of the limb, one AP, one lateral. You need to x-ray two joints, the joint above and the joint below the potentially affected one. You need to x-ray the two limbs, ipsilateral and the contralateral limb, particularly in children, because you need to compare the bony structures from one side to the other side. And the last two is the uh, two times when you need to obtain the uh, the x-rays, meaning before and after the reduction. So if you have a... Say, for the sake of argument, an ankle fracture and you're done reducing, you immobilized, you need to look then, do an x-ray to see what the result of your immobilization is.
0: Let's move away from x-rays then. What is the role of CT scanning?
1: Well, CT scanning is, uh, has become the gold standard for diagnosis of uh, injuries in, in trauma patients. It's, it's changed the way we manage trauma patients. Is considered an essential tool, but as I said, it's not a it's not a tool that you use immediately in the initial assessment of the trauma. The request and 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 having a CT scan is done based on clinical findings. So you need to decide in your clinical examination what kind of CT scan you're gonna do. CT scans done for trauma have a high sensitivity and high specificity and high accuracy, so the, the diagnostic yield is near 100 percent in many of the of the traumatic instances and because they are very accurate on identifying particular injuries then allows you to select patients who may require surgery and patients you can treat without operations. Uh, Most recently uh, the addition of high quality angiography when you're doing a CT scan has also changed the way we handled uh, potential vascular injuries.
0: So what are some downsides to doing a CT scan? The
1: major issues with CT scanning is, one, you need to transport the patient, whether you need to transport between hospitals or within the hospital for a long distance and go to a place where it's considered very unsafe. So the radiology suite is not a a resuscitation area or an uh, operating theater. So there are no equipment there to, uh, to do cardiopulmonary resuscitation if you need to. Uh, and the second major problem is the, uh, the availability of the resource. So, not every single hospital has an available CT scan on a 24 hour basis and people who can then uh, do the, obtain the images and interpret the images. Um, remember, CT scan is something that is, is not done thinly, it's done only based on clinical examination. And if you find your patient has a evident uh, clinical diagnosis of hemorrhage, you do not need to do a CT scan to decide whether your patient needs surgery or not.
0: Let's leave CT scans for now. When would you use contrast studies such as barium swallows or cystograms?
1: The contrast studies are elective tests. Some things that you do when your patient is completely hemodynamically normal after you've sorted out all sources of hemorrhage and life-threatening injuries. And again, these are done, the requests and the, and, the, and the imaging, the particular type of imaging that you can use, that you want to use is done based on clinical findings and CT results. Some of these investigations can be done in the emergency department with minimal resources like cystograms and uretrograms. Um, but simply injecting yourself the contracts into the bladder or into the urethra and obtaining a plain x ray. Major issues is that again they require transport and time. They are usually time consuming and they and they require, you know, the patient to be cooperative. So if you have a safe penetrating trauma to the neck and your patient is intubated and ventilated, you're not going to be able to obtain a a swallow to exclude an esophageal injury. Obviously, if your patient is hemodynamically unstable, you cannot do a contrast investigation. When we talk about
0: angiograms, when should we do those?
1: Well, there is two types of angiography, well, actually three type of angiography. We we have the what what is called the con- conventional angiography, which today is called digital subtraction angiography. Th- this is the angiography, this is the classical angiography with a, where an artery is cannulated and contrast is directly injected into the into the artery. And then you have the options of obtaining an angiogram using a CT scan or an MRI machine. Now, the problem with digital subtraction angiography is, one, is time-consuming and it's also the, the utilization of CT scan and geography has superseded the need for for conventional angiography because it's less invasive and is as accurate as uh, obtaining a, a digital subtraction angiography. The DSAs are reserved for 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 the patients who require an action endovascular vascular intervention. So the patient you need to do an angioembolization or deploying a stent for a rupture aorta or a, or a partial injury to one of the major arteries in the uh, in the limbs. Again, they are not. Uh, you're not supposed to use it for patients who are hemodynamically unstable because they require time. The other major issue here is the load of contrast that you need to administer to these patients to obtain the images, and then there is a risk of developing uh, kidney damage uh, secondary to that. Is there ever any role for an MRI in trauma? Yes, there is, but again, not as a routine investigation. a very expensive tool, time-consuming tool, Very accurate for injuries of the brain and the and soft tissues and and, and the spine. But the CT scan is cheaper compared to it, faster to obtain. Both in in the presence of trauma are equal when it comes to diagnostic yield. So we we tend to go more with CT scan rather than, than with a MRI.
0: How and why are injuries missed?
1: Injuries are easy to miss in the management of trauma patients. And the major reason for that is usually lack of communication, lack of understanding what is happening with the patient and lack of telling the other team members of what the potential problems are. There are many things that impact that. One is the uh, limited lack of information regarding the events. Uh, two, the patient may not be able to communicate because it's low; it's, it has a low Glasgow score. Uh, some, some team members are in a rush and they wanted to do something else and they have another a duty to perform and they forget to uh, to give the appropriate information. The major issues are also the failure to recognize the severity of the mechanism of injury, like we were talking uh, in a previous podcast. If you have a severe mechanism of injury, like a ejection from a car or a car that has been involved in a head-on collision or a patient has fallen from a height, those are severe mechanisms of injuries. Even if the patient doesn't look like he's severely injured, you need to be on the lookout for, for potential injury. The other major issue is the failure to interpret clinical signs and symptoms, especially subtle clinical signs and symptoms. This is very prevalent for example in limb injuries when you miss a a compartment syndrome because you don't pay attention to what the patient is telling you that he's got severe pain despite the fact that you've already immobilized the limb.
0: What are some other reasons for missing injuries?
1: failure to interpret the results of investigations. And one of the things that we, we do in, in trauma surgery is that we do, do we, we trust the radiologist, but we don't read the reports. We wanted to see the images ourselves, and we wanted to make decisions based on what we interpret on those images. The, the next thing is uh, the use of incorrect investigations on this patient. So you select either the wrong investigation or you forget to order an investigation based on clinical examination, you may miss injuries. And the last thing is violation of protocols and, and current recommendations. So say, for example, in your unit there is a protocol that says that every single patient with a penetrating neck trauma that is hemodynamically stable requires a CT angiogram of the neck and you forget to do that or because you are busy or, or, you, or you are lazy you don't want to do it, you may miss injuries.
0: What can we do to avoid missing injuries?
1: Well, the best thing is 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 to have good communication. And here we come back to the initial management of the patient, the handover. The handover is essential. If you if you during the transfer of information are able to give the receiving party whatever is relevant for this particular patient and then red flag potential injuries and potential problems for the patient, you will minimize the um, the uh, the missing The next thing you can do is the careful examination of the patient physical examination, including what we've already mentioned in a previous podcast about tertiary survey. So your patient has had a need for an intervention, a life-saving intervention, and you didn't do completed the secondary survey of the ATLS in the emergency department. Once your patient is stable in ICU, go and examine your patient from head to toe again. The next thing is obviously, as we said, Careful interpretation of, of of the images that you are obtaining on investigations, and specifically uh, having a high index of suspicion for potential injuries, even if your patient doesn't look uh, very sick. Always assume that if there is a significant mechanism of injuries attached, there must be something that is wrong with this patient, and your duty is to uh, to look for it. And finally, uh, and something that we doctors need to learn to is not to be um, noxious and, and know-all, ask for senior help. When you are in doubt, you don't know, you cannot interpret the problem on this particular patient or somebody else. Even if it's not necessarily more senior than you or equal to you, but a new, a new fresh set of eyes will be able to pick up things that you are not seeing in that particular moment.
0: I think that's a very important piece of advice. They always ask for help or a second opinion. Could you give us a simple algorithm on... How or when we should use radiology with our trauma patients?
1: If you are doing an ATLS uh, resuscitation-based uh, assessment of your patient uh, and you have a LODOX available, your patient is not having a sternal hemorrhage or a com- complete airway, get a LODOX. It will give you a lot of information. If you don't have a LODOX, once you finish your primary assessment, do a chest x-ray and a pelvis x-ray, use an EFAS on every single patient that comes across your resuscitation room. Uh, there are some issues regarding penetrating trauma and the utilization of EFAS, but we are not going to go into much details. So do an EFAS ultrasound on every single patient because you need to learn how to do the ultrasound. And by learning on patients who don't have a positive finding on an EFAS, you'll be able to then identify the patient that requires. When it comes to the, the, the selecting other investigations, then base that on, on physical examination. And the clear distinction is, if your patient is hemodynamically compromised and there are signs of shock and hemorrhage, do not do any more investigations. Go and find out where the source of bleeding is, stop the bleeding after you've controlled the life threats, then you can select what you need to do. If your patient has a limb injury and is hemodynamically stable, by all means, x-ray your limb and your, and your joints using the rules rule that we're mentioning. Don't, don't use radiological investigations instead of the, your proper physical clinical assessment. So let's become clinicians before radiologists.
0: Thank you very much for another interesting podcast. And I'm sure we are going to hear from you again in the future.
1: Thank you very much. Today for young, fresh and relevant content. That was another edition of the Students of Surgery podcast series where we shed light on common surgical topics.